uh, just, just glance at your neighbor and smile with your eyes. If you're wearing a mask, smile with your eyes. Would you do that? I, I can tell, Cherry, and you're smiling. It's very good. I can, I can see it. Some people look grumpy under their masks all the time, don't they? You know? Some people just have that, and really they're smiling, or that's a smile to them. You know, grumpy is maybe as good. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> uh, it is so good to be together, both in person and online. want to welcome you, and, and uh, especially if you're new, want to enthousi- enthusiastically welcome you. So glad you're here. We're, as uh, Simon mentioned, we're back in the gospel according to Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 6. You can flip there if you have scripture with you. You can do that. But we're diving back into the greatest talk in human history, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, quick flash back to where we ended this series back in June. We talked about how Jesus wants to free us from this thing called approval addiction. Be sure to go online and catch up if you didn't hear it. A lot of us are tempted to think that who we are is who other people think of us. We can idolize getting other people to approve of us or be impressed by us. Uh, This one has been a long time makeover project in my life, and God isn't finished with me yet, because truth be told, I'm a bit of an approval junkie. Anybody else relate to that? Anybody else approval junkies in the crowd? You know, bold enough, brave enough to... Yeah, what you didn't know was Hillside's actually a secret support group for this very thing. (laughs) But Jesus invites us to step out of slavery of how other people think of us, and, and move into being rooted and grounded in the love of our Heavenly Father. He gives us a little-known spiritual practice to help us with this, the, the practice of secrecy. Secrecy is when we abstain from letting our good deeds and our impressive qualities uh, be known. In secrecy, really what I'm doing is I'm handing over the PR department of my life to God. Now, today we look at how Jesus applies this practice of secrecy to this area of giving. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, what Jesus is saying here is is actually, it's quite profound, and I think it's actually pretty funny. I I think and suspect that Jesus was a funny guy. Anybody agree? Uh, Here Jesus is giving a picture of what religious hypocrisy looks like. Imagine someone goes to church, it's offering time, and a person, just before they put, it, put their money in the offering or in the offering box, they pull out a trumpet and they blow. It is a laugh-out-loud picture because, of course, nobody even back then actually blew a trumpet. I, I know I've never blown a trumpet after doing some seemingly generous thing, but I do know that at times that after I have done something that seemed generous, I then found myself looking for ways to slip that into a conversation with somebody so that person would think that I'm a generous guy. Jesus said, truly I tell you, you have received your reward in full. If you do something in order to impress somebody, your reward is impressing somebody. 
You'll get the wow, but you'll be just a little bit more addicted, which means it'll be even harder to avoid doing the same thing the next time. You're a slave. He goes on. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, that would have been another really funny line, and, and it's also got a pretty profound idea behind it. When something becomes deeply habitual in me, it's, it's so embodied in me, I do it without thinking about it. You might say it's second nature. You know, when you were learning, remember back now, to tie your shoes, I hope everyone can tie their shoes. At, at first, you had to, do you remember? You had to concentrate really hard. The first time you did it, you were so proud. You're like, look at me, I, I, I tied my shoes. You wanted to blow a trumpet. And now you can tie your shoe without even thinking about it. You, you don't blow a trumpet for it. You're free to think about more interesting things. It, it's a funny thing. If you were to ask me, how do I tie my shoelaces, shoelaces, I'd find it really tough to find the words to describe how to do it, right? Um, here's a challenge. Go home and, and tie your shoes. Only this time, make your left hand do what your right hand normally does and vice versa. Good luck with that. It's, it's really hard. I tried it. My left hand literally does not know what my right hand does when it comes to tying shoes. What Jesus is saying is just a profound observation on the human condition in the kingdom of God. Let your, your generosity be as habitual as tying your shoes. Let it become such a habit that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. And, and initially, when you begin to, to give, it will feel heroic. You will want to blow a trumpet. Initially, the, the first time when you serve and are generous with your time, it'll feel heroic. Angel, look, I've emptied the dishwasher without being asked. Blow the trumpets. But eventually, you'll be generous without having to think about how wonderful you are. You'll be free to think more interesting things. You won't need the trumpet. Dallas uh, Willard used to say, one of the signs of spiritual maturity is the thoughts that never occur to you anymore. Jesus' way of talking about this is this. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The idea of reward is really that it's about as you become a, a truly generous person who's not just trying to impress people, but actually wants to partner with God and follow Jesus, you're going to enter into the reality of kingdom living. It's really good. Your reward is the person that you become, the, the life that you lead, the joy that you experience, the, the faith that you build, the, the care that you receive from God, the difference that you make in the world. I love how Dr. Martin Luther King put it. He says, keep feeling the need for being first, but I want you to be the first in love. I want you to be the first in moral excellence. I want you to be the first in generosity. Now, the Bible's so full of the rewards for being first in generosity, it's staggering. So I want to spend the rest of the, the message getting so clear about the rewards of generosity. We'll find ourselves saying, I want to become my most generous self ever. So here we go, the rewards of generosity. Number one, blessing. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
Now, I think sometimes we turn the word blessed into kind of a religious cliche. But as we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, especially back in the Beatitudes, blessing is really about who has the good life. The idea is this. We think getting stuff is the path to the good life. Because when we get, what happens? We get this little burst of pleasure. But what happens next? That little burst fades pretty quick. It wears off. It always does. Over the long haul, givers are happier than takers. Question for you. Do you, do you know someone like this? Have you ever met somebody who's absurdly generous? I, I know somebody. I, I got a friend, and, and uh, it's like they dream up ways to be generous. It's, it's the front thing on their minds. It's the way they kind of see the world. And, and to be honest, there have been times that I've actually worried about him some because there's, there's always seemed to be this kind of constant outflow of his life. But here's the thing. The inflow is always greater. I just want to witness, and many of you could, could do this way more than me, I've gotten more, more blessing, more meaning, more gratitude, more joy out of monies I gave out than monies I saved. That's the first reward. You'll experience more blessing. Number two, more relational connection. Uh, We live in a society that is increasingly financially rich, but relationally poor. Now look what Paul says to givers in the early church about people who received their generosity. He says, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. People who are generous with their time, people who are generous with their money, end up entering into new relationships, new partnerships. They, they end up connecting with and, and caring for more people. I've seen this in so many occasions, but I've seen it especially in our work at Hillside with refugees. As we've gotten to, to bless and enter into hospitality and welcome, it, it's, what it's done is it's opened up cultures and relationships to us that have been amazing. And I don't even have to talk about the food. I, uh, I heard of this fire department that, uh, that publishes their, you know, breakfast fundraiser with this tagline on a t-shirt. It says, you come to our breakfast and we'll come to your fire. <laughs> See, if you're, you're stingy with your time and money, you'll find other people are actually stingy with their hearts. But if you are generous with your money and with your time, people's hearts will go out to you. Number three, freedom. Uh, When I focus on my little life and getting what I want, I become a slave to my desire. Uh, There's an interesting phrase that's used a couple of times in the Psalms. In Psalm 22, the psalmist says, deliver my precious life from the power of the dogs. That uh, phrase, my precious, does that ring any bells for any of you? (laughs) You guys are so well-primed. I love this church. Gollum, of course, from Lord of the Rings. Now, the word golem, you might not know this. It's a word that actually comes from a Hebrew word that's used one time in the Bible in Psalm 139 to refer to an unformed body. That word golem in, in Hebrew in the Middle Ages actually becomes a kind of character or figure in Jewish folklore who lived as a grudging resentful, and soulless slave. That's part of why, why Tolkien chose that name, Gollum. 
And the ring is, is what the scholar Thomas Shipley calls a psychic amplifier. It amplifies, it takes a desire and turns it into an obsession until it becomes an idol. And then I'm its slave. See, the rule of the kingdom of God is freely you have received, freely give. You know, what in the world do I have that God did not give me? My, my body, my mind, my food, my clothes. And what generosity does is it liberates us from our slavery to things so that we're free to give with the freedom we receive. So good. Number four, joy. We're told this from a great story of giving in the Old Testament. It says, The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to Yahweh the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. I'll tell you how deeply God has wired us for generosity. You know, when we're, we're generosity, generous with our time or generous with our money in serving, it releases all kinds of wonderful chemicals in our brains. I've actually heard it called the helper's high. On the other hand, stingy people secrete cortisol, which is the stress hormone. This is amazing to me. God has wired us at the basest, most fundamental physical level, at hormonal level, that we literally, we can't give without getting. So there's joy. Number five. God's delight. Generosity experiences the delight of God. This is an amazing verse. Listen to this. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Now, apparently, the richest, world in the guy, the richest guy in the world right now is Elon Musk. In fact, I felt for him this, a little bit this week. His net worth went from like $203 billion to $200 billion. I wanted to write him a sympathy card. But now imagine, uh, he's joined us for church this morning, and think back to days where we actually passed offering bags, and it's offering time, and he leans over to you and says, listen, I have nothing. Can you lend me 20 bucks? You'd probably think he was good for it, right? You might even think it's to your advantage to lend this guy 20 bucks. Here's a really important piece of, of information that your financial advisor probably will not tell you. You will die. No, no matter what, you'll probably still die, right? Why would you not give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose? Can you imagine, just picture this for a moment, standing in front of God one day and having God say, hey, I see I have a bunch of IOUs here for you. Oh, let's settle up right now. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them. Number six, a blessing that will go to the next generation. This is from Psalm 37. It's talking of the righteous. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Now, it's so fascinating. It doesn't say that their children will be blessed. It says their children will be a blessing. See, selfish kids tend to raise, uh, selfish parents, I should say, tend to raise selfish kids. Generous parents tend to raise generous kids. You know, I remember when one of our youth here at Hillside went on one of our adult teams to Kenya. This youth sacrificially skipped to kind of a once-in-a-lifetime school trip 
in order to grow with a bunch of adults. There was no youth his, his age and spent, instead spent two weeks loving on kids and, and youth in a seriously under-resourced village. And guess what happened when they came back? All you could see was how their heart had expanded like two sizes. You know, what's that line from, you know, the Grinch? Three sizes bigger? I, don't, I can't remember. It was a bad anecdote. <laughs> to be able to build generosity into the next generation is just such a good thing. By the way, parents, just want to speak to you for a moment as you're raising kids in this culture which has moved online. Um, I think we have to be more verbal about our giving because they might not see. We don't actually pass an offering plate anymore. And perhaps you're, you're arranging your, your giving automatically. And so I, I think you have to be a little bit more verbal and, and maybe be thoughtful about how you disciple your kids in generosity so that they can see that you're generous. I know that one family gives their kids at Christmas time mad money. And it's not mad money so that they can buy more stuff. It's mad money that they can give away to, to causes that they want to do so to. I think that's a great idea because generous parents raise generous kids. Number seven, multiplied impact. This is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. It's just amazing. One day Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to them, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more money into the treasury than all the others. This is just a fascinating story on, on so many levels. Jesus, first, <laughs> picture what he does. He goes and he stands and just openly watches people giving at offering time. <laughs> Seems kind of nosy, doesn't it? I, I think people might say, hey, Jesus, why don't you mind your own business? What about the whole given secret kind of thing? Jesus, though, seems to have this strange idea that people's giving is his business. That pe what people do with the resources they have from God is God's business. Here's the point. The widow wasn't giving to impress anybody. The widow had no trumpet. The widow was betting everything on God. When Jesus said, this poor widow put in more, he was not being poetic. He was not exaggerating. But get this, that widow's mite, that little penny, became the most famous gift in the history of humanity. That, that widow literally inspired the generosity of hundreds of millions of people all around the planet. She had no idea she was going to be doing that. She literally gave more. You see, no matter what your income is, do not believe that your gift doesn't count. Because when you give, God sees the heart and God can take the two loaves and five fish and, or five loaves. No, yeah. Did I get it right? Two fish and five loaves? Man, I thought I knew that story, had it down, but I'm a little bit off. And he feeds a multitude. God is the ultimate multiplier. He can take our little and bless the world with it. So good. Eight, a new financial partner. Now think about this. When you step into generosity, you align yourself with what, as what someone said, that the unseen jet stream of the universe. Jesus put it like this. 
Give, and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this reality of, of God's involvement in your financial life is so powerful that I want to pause to make it clear that giving is not something you, did, you do in order to get more money. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. I once heard about this little church. When somebody put $100 in the offering plate, the pastor got so excited, he said, whoever put this in, come up to the front. You can pick three hymns. And this shy elderly woman came to the front and just beamed at the congregation, and she pointed to the three best-looking men in the crowd and said, I'll pick him and him and him. That's actually a made-up story. Didn't happen. (laughs) But here's the point. Giving is not something that we do to get external rewards, more wealth or more reputation. I'll tell you this based on Scripture, based on the lives of of thousands of people, based on what Angel and I have experienced in our lives. Folks, I can't say it more, more clearly than this. You cannot... You cannot, you cannot outgive God. You can't outgive God. This is true with your time. If you're not volunteering, if you're not serving, then I want to tell you, get generous with your time. See if God doesn't multiply your time and your energy and <laughs> in ways that, that actually build and fortify your faith. This is true with your money. The beginning level of of giving for Israel was called the tithe, and people would give God the first 10% of their income. It was called the first fruits, it was called. People have such a hard time trusting God with money. I think that's why he says this in Malachi. He says, bring the whole tithe into the, the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. One of my son loves math, and I had to stop helping him with his math homework when he was like six or something like that. I get the old math. I don't get his math. You see, in, in the kingdom of God, there's this reality of another kind. You have to do the new math. The old math in our world says if I have $100 and I give 10 away, I'll have $90 left. In other words, the more I give, the less I have. In the kingdom of God, the foundation of reality is when you are generous, God enters into the equation and 90% with God is worth more than 100% without God. This is the only area where God actually says, test me. Test me. For us, practically speaking, how do we get started? Well, if you've never done this before, you might by, start by giving, by tithing. Interesting, there's a uh, church that I love that has an amazing, just profound impact on their community and neighborhood around the world. Really an incredible example of a generous church. Do you know what they do? They offer what's called the tithing challenge. What they suggest to their people is to make a commitment to tithe for 90 days to their church. And during those 90 days, they they actually take that money and they hold it in a separate account. And they don't touch it. 
And if at the end of those 90 days it seems that God is not involved in a person's finances, or if it's clear that, that this is financially unsustainable, they can't keep doing it and live financially, they'll return the money without questions asked. But if it's clear that God is now involved in that person's financial life, then that person keeps on tithing, and the church, church celebrates with them, celebrates the freedom they're in on. I, I just want to encourage you, if you have never taken that step toward becoming a regular tither to God, man, don't miss the blessing of that. We've, uh, we've never offered the tithing challenge here at Hillside. I wonder if we should. <laughs> Because God says, test me. He seems to know that it's hard for us to trust him. So he says, test me. Let me prove my faithfulness in this area to you. And just on a practical note here, a lot of people find it really helpful to give online, to just kind of somehow find a way to make tithing kind of automatic. I'll tell you why. Most of us intend to be generous people. Most of us intend to be givers. Any of you remember where the, the, the path to, you know, good intentions leads? It's actually not a good place. But as Stanley, uh, Andy Stanley, a pastor, puts it, he says, automation trumps determination. Now, maybe you don't do your... Now, so the Bible talks about first fruits, the idea that we're to give God right off the top. But it's just, it's really easy for us to forget. We get distracted by life. Uh, we get concerned about other bills. We get worried all those kind of things can happen. Um, technology can be a gift from God in this area to translate my good actions into, my good intentions into consistent action. Now, maybe you don't do your finances online. You might prefer to give somehow something physical. By all means, use whatever method works best for you, but technology can be a great gift from God to help us actually translate our good intentions into actually doing something. This might be a real help for you. A few years ago, there was a lending company, finance lending company, who had a, an advertising tagline that was kind of memorable. In their ad, the pitch guy would say this about their offer. This is the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. Well, apparently, a couple years ago, this finance company went bankrupt. I guess it wasn't the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. <laughs> but trusting God with your finances, leading a generous life, discovering it's more blessed to give than receive, having the discipline to become a, a tither, a regular giver, getting real about being a giver and not a taker, and walking hand in hand with God through this life with our generosity, that is the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. That's the reward of generosity. I'm going to invite us to pray. Would you, uh, worship team, would you want to come on up here? Jesus, I, I want to thank you for your teaching on giving and that your desire for us is that we might learn how to give in such a way that it would become ingrained in us, second nature. Not so that we would impress people, not so that we might uh, get the approval of others, but so that we might partner with you in what you are as a generous God and what you want to accomplish in our world. And God, in the ways that you want to bless us with all kinds of rewards, Lord, blessings of joy and, and just um, the opportunity even to, to please you in, in ways that are deep and real.
God, I pray, would you help this become so real to us, so natural to us, that it becomes second nature? Would you grow each of us in this area of giving? Lord, you know uh, how each of us needs to apply this today, this message. I pray you might give us courage and faith to be able to trust in you. And whatever it means, I pray you would help us to become the kind of people who are sacrificial in the ways we serve, in the ways we give. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.